What you doing? I'm running out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Freeman. I'm flying solo tonight. Alan was busy with some other stuff, but I brought along with me John Ledyard of the Inside the Pylon uh, contributor over there is also a co-host of the Locked On NFL Draft podcast. He'll also be joined by Justin Higdon, who is a co-host of the Draft Breakdown podcast tonight to talk about the uh, 2017 NFL Scouting Combine. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. First, I want to welcome John to the show. Um, John, been a big fan of your stuff, uh, was Checking out your stuff last year when you were working with uh, DraftWire at USA Today. Had your uh, buddy Jonah on the show last year to uh, do some uh, draft preview stuff. And uh, I, so I know uh, you come highly recommended and always been in, enjoying your stuff. I appreciate that a lot, and I'm glad to be on the show. It's fun stuff. You know, the whole Lockdown Network's been been great so far since I started just two weeks ago. I've already been on a couple of the Lockdown shows, so you guys have all been terrific in welcoming us in, and I'm just excited to be part of the Locked On family. Yeah. And, uh, John, I know you contribute to Inside the Pylon. Uh, really enjoyed your, um, what was it, the sack quality? Um, yeah, the contextualizing sack production. Yeah, yeah. That looked was... at uh, different, basically rating sacks and looking at which ones involved, you know, one-on-one victories and, you know, which ones involved, you know, a little more prowess than, you know, your coverage sack or your typical effort sack or, you know, something along those lines, kind of contextualizing the way those sacks were achieved and the importance of that information. I want to add a couple more years to it before really flesh it out before I start, you know, spouting the results as any kind of indicator of anything. But uh, I'm excited to do that. Once the draft's done, I can refocus and and knock that project out. Okay. So I won't ask you uh, whether or not Vic Beasley um, sacks uh, measured up uh, this past year. He did. He ended up having a close. Now, Vic Beasley was the most unique result. I'm pulling him up as we speak, but he was the most unique result that I had because he did grade well for the CSP, but he is kind of the poster child for taking in more serious context into. So some of the things I chart is are the type of sack, the stance that they were in, the alignment they were in. So were they in a wide nine technique? Were they a six technique? What what technique were they in? The down and the distance. Um, just to get an idea of, you know, third and 18, you're flying off the ball probably. You know, first down sacks, you know, that, you know, you probably, you know, you're you're thinking around a little bit more, you know, just to kind of contextualize that aspect of it. The move that they used uh, to get the sack, the opponent that they beat, whether they forced a fumble, whether they killed the drive, and the personnel group that was out there for the offense. And with Beasley's, it was really interesting because he did really well on the CSP. I think he had, I'm looking right now, one, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight, nine. I think nine of his was 15, 15 sacks were high quality, which is a good, which was a good rating uh, for me um, when you compared it to everybody else. But it was interesting because he beat Tyson Ambrello for three of those, who's the backup right tackle for Denver, and he beat Rob Havenstein. 
because it's a difficult thing to do. You're playing and if it's not like when you're in college, you know, beating anyone, you know, that doesn't tell you anything. You know, you need to be against high quality competition to really be able to measure. That's why I don't think the CSP works for college. But in the NFL, if you're beating anybody, you know, you're beating NFL prospects. But in his case, you know, he did have a lot of sacks in just two games. So it was a little bit streaky uh, of results. I don't think he's quite there yet, ready to move into that second tier group of, of, of top edge rushers. Um, but I think he's on his way there. I was really high on him coming out. He was like my number three overall player. And I think by next year, you'll see his game continue to progress to the point where he's able to use a lot of those God-given gifts that he has, continue to figure out how to use those best to his advantage. Okay. All right. So let's uh, switch gears a little bit, talk about this uh, combine coming up. Uh, I know you're at Indianapolis. Am I correct in that? What's that? Am I in Indianapolis now? Yeah, I am. Okay. So I'm just curious, just big picture stuff. What are you sort of looking? You know, what are you? Which players are you sort of excited to see uh, this week, this weekend, and Monday? Well, I, I'm always excited to to watch the edge rusher group. I think it's my favorite position to scout. And you know, obviously, we talk about the CSP. I do a lot of that stuff with the NFL. So I watch the NFL and kind of to help my evaluation process for college players. And so this is a great edge group. Um, so I'm really excited to watch them not only work out, but interview them and, you know, get their feel for, you know, the different defenses they were in, the stances they were in, you know, how they feel about dropping into coverage, whether teams have talked to them about that, you know, different other aspects of the position that we sometimes don't measure as much and where that they weren't asked to do in college. So that's typically been my favorite position to scout. I'm you know, excited about a couple individuals, I guess, too, amongst that group. Um, I'm really a big fan of Derek Rivers from Youngstown State. I think he's a top 40 player in this class, and I think that he's a guy. I'm really curious always to see how the smaller school guys test, how they work out, you know, how do they compare at a higher level of competition. Um, I think he's going to do very, very well for himself here. Did very, very well for himself at the Senior Bowl, acclimated himself as one of the better edge guys that was there. Um, so I think he's extremely talented, and he's going to test really well this week. And really, I know I impressed teams with his personality. I've talked to them. You know, a great kid. I really like Joe Mathis, too, from Washington. He had the foot injury. I think derailed what would have been a really impressive season. I think if he could have kept playing, you know, he's already had five sacks, and he had those five in, like, his last three games. And I think he was on his way to a monster year that would have put him in the senior bowl And if he hadn't gotten hurt. And so that, that injury kind of derailed him. But I think he's going to do everything here. I think he's going to work out and, you know, so on and so forth. So it's going to be um, exciting for me to, to see how he tests. I don't think he's – the most elite athlete here, are the, uh, the edge rusher guys, but I think he's a solid round two option that most, it seems like most of the big media is billing as a day three guy. Um, and I think he's much, much better than that. So I think I'm really excited to see how he works out here, how he tests and everything and, you know, how he conducts himself throughout the weekend talking to teams. Now you talked about how good this edge class is, and there's a lot of guys that are sort of being projected to go in the first round. And, you know, most people are putting miles, Garrett at the top of that, but sort of two through, you know, four, five or six is sort of, uh, you know, different strokes for different folks. I'm curious, how do you think some of these guys are going to work out and whether or not that's going to really sort of help um, sort of uh, these guys start to organize themselves as, as a consensus to, um, you know, for example, guys like Derek Barnett and Carl Lawson, from what I've gathered watching those guys on film, they don't look exactly like the type of guys that are going to test particularly well, but we obviously know they've been very productive in the SEC. Uh, generally speaking, that tends to get guys right. drafted pretty highly. What are your thoughts on, on those two guys and, and some of these other top edge guys in terms of how they might work out? 
Yeah, it's a weird group in some ways because there's so much talent, but you look at pure edges that will probably go in the top 10. You know, uh, do you consider Solomon Thomas an edge? I think he'll play there in base downs and he'll kick inside on long and late downs and he'll be effective there. You know, Solomon, uh, John Allen, and Malik McDowell probably have somewhat similar roles. You know, I think John Allen will play a bigger role inside probably. McDowell can play any technique as long as he's playing in a one-gapping system. I think he's going to be a stud. I mean, he's one of the more high-ceiling players in, in the in the class. But, you know, there's concerns, there's questions with a lot of these guys. You know, with Solomon Thomas and John Allen, I don't think it's concerned so much as, you know, what's their best spot? Are they going to be true edges? Um, you know, with Malik McDowell, there's the, you know, he was a bad teammate and he didn't work hard and, you know, he, and he, he was lazy on the field at the end of the season. And um, with Carl Lawson, it's athleticism questions and in but more than that, it's his past injury history, a torn ACL, a hip injury. Um, so there's concerns there with him. Uh, Tim Williams is a top 10 guy for me. But, again, the off-the-field stuff, man, if it's some people say his issues are as bad as Randy Gregory, I've heard that even before the recent reports that were coming out. Um, and if that's true, no way you can take him the first round. You know, you haven't gotten anything out of Randy Gregory. And Tim Williams is a better player. You know, but if you're talking about drug issues to that extent, you just can't take that risk in the first round. Um, and, and even Tack McKinley, who I think is a first-round guy, you know, terrific player, um, but you know he's raw, and there's some pad-level issues, which is going to get him pancaked a good bit in the NFL. Um, and more than that, he has the torn labrum, and so teams are going to have to evaluate that. And I don't think it'll affect his stock too much. But you know, you talk, you get to talking about top ten guys, and you're like, oh, it's a great edge class. Who's going to pull the trigger on one of these guys in the top 10? That's going to be the big question. Personally, I really am a big fan of Carl Lawson. You mentioned he and Derek Barnett. Um, yes, I agree that I'm not sure either will wow at the combine as much as some other guys like Miles Garrett, Tack McKinley, Charles Harris, Solomon Thomas. Like These guys will really impress, I think. But I think that Carl Lawson, if you see why, why I like him more than Barnett, and I like both players, but why I like Carl Lawson more is you watch Carl Lawson play the game he met, he's mentally processing the game at an extremely high level, especially as a pass rusher. So he's taking what an offensive lineman across from is giving to him, or he's setting that guy up to fail and create his own space as an edge rusher. He does that extremely well. Very, very good with his hands. He can speed to power you. He can win the edge. He can counter you back inside. He just thinks really, really well on his feet. And he's very explosive up the arc, very explosive, a lot of stop-start action. He may not be as bendy, as some of the other guys in his hips. But I think in his ankles, he makes up for that a little bit, and there's enough there to be able to corner, and he helps create that softer edge with some movement. And with Barnett, it's just kind of a straight, I'm going to try and jump off the snap, and I'm going to try and rip under your arm and, and dip underneath you and run around you to the quarterback. You know, you look at Barnett, you think he converts speed to power at a high rate. You think he was a bull rusher. He isn't either of those things. You'd love him to be, he just isn't. He doesn't use his hands as well as some of the other guys. You know, it's gotten better. He was much better this year at using his hands at the top of the arc, but it's still not to the level of some of these other guys. He plays the run very physical and very nasty. As a pass rusher, he's almost all finesse. So it's a very unusual dichotomy for him. I think he can learn to become a better pass rusher, a better power rusher than what he is, even if he doesn't test extremely well. But I worry about it, how explosive he is. I think that's the biggest thing because the best speed to power rushers are still really explosive off the ball. And I don't know whether he has that if he's not jumping the snap. You know, there's flashes of it. I think it's adequate. We'll find out a lot this week at the combine, I think, about just how good it is. Now, I'm curious, do you think anything's going to happen this weekend that's going to knock one of these guys down to their to the to the point where they're now in the Falcons range at pick 31? Or do you, 
uh, on the flip side of that, are there sort of any guys that are sort of milling about in the second round that could sort of elevate themselves into the first round if they test particularly well? I think that both of those guys could, uh, Barnett and Lawson, could be there at the back end of the first round. Um, I think you'll see guys like, as long as McKinley tests like how I think he will, and as long as his shoulder's not an issue, I think you'll see him rise up after the combine. I think you'll see Charles Harris rise up after the combine. You know, Solomon Thomas will stay up there, I think, and some of those other guys. Um, so I, I think that, you know, Tim Williams is a big question mark. But, again, if Tim Williams, the, the drug issues, he could fall. Carl Lawson could fall. Derek Barnett could fall um, because of athleticism concerns, because of health concerns for Lawson. Um, so those guys are all co- options that could potentially be there uh, for Atlanta, I think. Uh, and if you look in the second round, you know, I think that I don't think any of those guys fall that far, you know, unless Williams issues are significant. Um, I don't think any of those guys fall that far. But, you know, I like Joe Mathis in that range, you know, as a guy that can play with his hand down or from a two point stance if you need him to. So he can bring a hybrid look. Dwayne Smoot is a guy who's gotten some attention in that regard and I think is a better better pure pass rusher than he is run defender probably. But he brings a lot to the table and uh, certainly a lot that you like, I think, too. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of options in every round as as edge rushers, you know, for if you're looking for one, I think. there You can find starters in this group, you know, guys who can play at a solid level even into the third day, I think. Um, that's just the reality of this group this season. You know, it's that it's that talented of a class. So you, if you need an edge rusher, you're in a good spot, even if it, you're waiting until the later rounds. Now, I'm curious um... – you know, I, I started doing my own amateur draft evaluation back in 2001, and you still had like the fresh memory of the quote-unquote workout warrior with like Mike Mamula and, and those sort of guys. Even though I think Mike Mamula went on to have a relatively successful NFL career if he had stayed healthy, um, despite that sort of um, reputation. And mm-hmm. it seemed like back then, I, I know for me personally, it was like, the, oh, the combine is just the, the underwear Olympics. It doesn't really matter all that much. It's it's all nice to get someone, see some how fast someone is, but it doesn't really matter. And now fast forward, you know, 15 years later, and it's, at least for me, it's a significant portion of, of sort of my evaluation, particularly mm-hmm. for pass rushers. I'm curious sort of how has your perception of how the combine is valued and, and how do you use it? as a tool, as a part of your own evaluations of players. Yeah, I think it's really important for pass rushers, and it really depends on the position, I think, a lot. Um, You know, for edge rushers, I I think it's really important. For defensive linemen that are in the top tier, you know, you're talking about one-gapping explosive types with a big range of impact, not your run stuffers so much, but, uh, you know, your other other guys, you know, I think that it's very important in that group, too. Um, so it depends on the group. You have to know what positions to look. You know, like I don't value it. It's great for linebackers, but it's not as important to me for linebackers as it is for guys to play on the line. Um, I think it's really important for them. Um, so you have to know what to value. I think kind of, you know, the 40, everybody talks about it's the most type drill. Well, for edge guys, I don't really care about the 40. You know, for defensive linemen, I don't really care about the 40 as much. I care about my, your 10-yard splits, you know, your agility drills, your jumps, things like that. Um, because that tells me more about whether you're an explosive player. I don't care whether you're fast or can sustain speed over 40 yards because that's not what you have to do in a game. Uh, but cornerbacks, you know, they have to do that. So it's important for them. Wide receivers, it's important for them. You know, even to a degree, running backs, I don't think it's, you know, I, wide receivers, you're getting really excited if a guy's in the four threes. I think running backs, you can live with guys in the four fives all, all day. I don't think that's an issue. Um, so there, there's a lot of traits I value more than that, even a running back. But, 
you know, to me, it just depends on the position uh, on what you're evaluating, because, you know, I think that, that there's some some really good data out there that affirms how important athleticism is and certain thresholds are for different positions. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that do that kind of stuff better than I do. I'm not so much of a math and numbers guy, but I am a guy that can see, you know, what works and what makes sense uh, and what has been consistently proven uh, over the years. And, uh, you know, I'm someone who takes that stuff very seriously and doesn't think that's an aberration. So um, that stuff means a lot to me. And when people publish those kind of things or say those kind of things, you know, it kind of matches up with my mindset as I kind of evaluate the draft and look at athleticism through the context of the combine. Now, you talk about sort of athleticism with the defensive linemen and how important it is for some of these top-tier guys uh, to test particularly well. I'm curious about the other side of the ball where you're looking at some of these offensive linemen that could – potentially have the athleticism to stop some of these uh, superior athletes on the defensive side of the ball. Is, is there anybody on the offensive line that you're sort of curious to see? I, I've heard some um, various reports and rumors that guys like Garrett Bowles, uh, among others, are going to test really well. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, Garrett Bowles is going to test extremely well tomorrow. People are going to be – or is it tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow. Um, he, people are going to be extremely impressed with him. Uh, Cam Robinson, I think, is going to have a great showing here. Uh, Antonio Garcia from Troy is a player I like a lot. I think he'll have a very good showing here. Ramsick and Moten aren't on the same level, I don't think, as pure athletes. We'll see. Uh, but I think that they're very good players, too. I think all five of those tackles are really solid. After that, it drops off a cliff, man. I mean, it, the position, it just really falls quickly. But um, I think Forrest Lamp and Dan Feeney will both have really good days. Um, I watched both of them in the senior bowl. Lamp was only there for one practice or part of one practice, but you could tell that short time period and then even watched him against Alabama on tape. You know, this is a guy who clearly can move. I don't think he's quite Cody Whitehair as an athlete um, who he gets compared to a lot, but I think he is going to be a very solid starter in the NFL. Even if he goes second round, I think this is a guy that could start in the NFL probably as a guard, but uh, could start in the NFL and play at a very high level for a long time. Um, he's that talented of a player. And Dorian Johnson from Pitt, you know, I think he's a guy that could that could really show out well too here. Um, you know, if he's fully healed from an ankle, we'll see. I'm not sure what all he's doing at this point. But uh, and the center group is really weak. I'm really curious to see how Ethan Posick works out because you don't see many 6'6 centers. And so I think he's going to have to show that he's a high caliber athlete uh, to be able to move at that size and be very fluid at that size. And um, the combine is great for offensive linemen. Um, you know, because you get to see them, but the drills that they do, the positional drills are probably more important than the actual athletic testing to me, because it is important to, to see in some way that you have a baseline competent level of athleticism. But I, I think that l offensive line is so much rehearsed technical skill and movement that as long as you're not a horrible athlete, um, I think that you can learn to do those things and function at at least a solid level in the NFL, uh, function well there. So, I think it's good. Uh, it's not as indicative to me as, you know, I won't bury a guy, you know, if he doesn't run great or anything like that. But, I mean, if you're a poor, poor athlete, then if we're talking about a different story. Um, but I think with them, it's a little more lenient than the thresholds for the other side of the ball. Okay. Um, are there any other position groups? I know, you know, people talk about the depth of the secondary. People talk about the depth at the running back position, the tight end group. Um, people talk about the lack of depth at the quarterback position among other spots. Are there any positions that you're excited to see? Um, maybe one of the strong ones or, or, or the weak ones to see uh, which guys sort of stand out. 
I think the DBs and the wide receivers I'm really excited about. I mean, this wide receiver group is so interesting to me because I think you have a group that's almost universally everybody agrees Corey Davis and Mike Williams are at the top. Then most people throw John Ross in that conversation too, usually is the number three guy. But um, I think after those first two, it is going to be all – people are all over the map with the order of these receivers. And I think that it's really hard to get a feel for who's going to go where, you know, who is a for sure second-round lock out of these receivers. I'm not sure uh, other than – Maybe it's Carlos Henderson, but I don't know. There's some things about all of them that make you wonder, you know, where are these guys going to go in the draft? They go second round, they go fourth round. And it's a big range with some of these guys, you know. It's really a pick-your-own-flavor type of receiver class. So I'm really curious. Does someone emerge, you know, let's say John Ross's medicals aren't great and he's got both knees and a shoulder now to worry about and he's small, you know, and he's got small hands. And, you know, so there's teams that are going to worry about that kind of stuff. But let's say – you know, that's a concern and, and he's not the consensus number three anymore, or even who's going to be the consensus number four guy. You know, I don't think there is one right now. Is is someone going to emerge as that guy? You know, because if you're the consensus number four wide receiver, you're getting overdrafted probably if you're a second round or third round guy and you're number four. So um, somebody is going to get overdrafted in this wide receiver class compared to the other talent that will still be on the board. Um, but that doesn't mean they're a bad player either. You know, I just think that, that position tends to be valued pretty highly by NFL teams. I mean, we saw first rounders flying off the board last year in the end of the first round. So um, that's a group that interests me a lot. And then the cornerback group, you know, almost for the opposite reasons, it's because there's so many good ones who's going to separate themselves as first round. I mean, we were talking about Desmond King and Cameron Sutton and Trey White and Jordan Lewis as first round picks, you know, seven or eight months ago. And now they, most of those guys had good years and, we're not talking about any of them as first-round picks, really. Maybe Trey White a little bit, but, you know, so, you know, that's how good this class is, I think, that it's pushed those guys even out of the first-round conversation in favor of some of the, the underclassmen guys that declared. Um, but I still think all the way through, you know, this is a, a very, very talented group, and I think that this group is going to need to, you know, each of these guys are going to need to establish themselves athletically and in their testing, I think, in order to distinguish themselves among the rest of the group. Well, uh, John, I appreciate you coming on. Um, I, I got to get one hot take that I saw from you, um, mm-hmm. I think, last year. Uh, I went to Pitt, so, you know, I lived in Pittsburgh for four years. Nice. I, know, I know you live in uh, Pittsburgh as well. I, mm-hmm. I saw that you're not a big fan of Permanis. Um Can you explain that? <laughs> I'm not, man. I don't know. I, I've, I've been there a couple times. I like a couple other sandwiches, but... Coleslaw and French fries on with meat on a sandwich. To me, I don't know, man. That I'd rather have it all separate. I think I don't. Maybe that's just me. I'm strange. I'm I'm one of the few anti-Permanent guys around this area. Yeah, yeah. I most of our listeners are, are not from Pittsburgh, so they're like, "What did you just describe?" And they're like, "It's that sounds horrible." <laughs> but uh, if, if you know, I I can say from my perspective, if you've had one, it, it's pretty good. But. Uh, <laughs> I know it's not for everybody, but uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. I saw that, and I was like, wait a second now. That's funny. <laughs> I don't even remember saying that, but that's funny to remember. <laughs> um, go ahead and, and plug all the stuff that you're going to be doing this week in, in all the various uh, podcasts and, and websites you, we can find your work on in the coming months. Yeah, so if there are any Pittsburgh people listening or any Steelers people listening, you know, I write for – I cover the Steelers for Scott.com, Steel City Insider, and – uh, I'll be here, you know, writing about some stuff from that perspective this week and, um, you know, writing about the combine. Probably write a wrap up after the week and 
know, kind of summarizing the combine for inside the pylon.com, uh, who I do a lot of work for. Um, we're also putting in, out an inside the pylon draft guide, uh, which you guys should check out. Uh, you know, visit IT Pylon uh, on Twitter and you can receive more information about that and check that out. But that's uh, going to be some really good stuff. We've got a really cool system that we're putting in place. I won't, you know, go into too much detail here, but you can read about it. It's going to be very unique and different from a lot of the other draft guides you see out there. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. And, um, you know, both of my podcasts, Breaking the Plane, uh, that I do with Matt Williamson, you know, we'll be talking about the combine and wrapping it up. We'll probably actually record. He's here in Indianapolis, so we'll probably record tomorrow. And then uh, tonight, you know, Luke and I, are recording for Locked On NFL Draft. We're recording uh, Friday's episode, the mailbag episode, answering you guys' questions. And then I'm probably going to do a couple things here and there and uh, post them up for Locked On NFL Draft even over the weekend so you guys can kind of track the combine with us. We'll do a couple special edition episodes. So a lot of irons in the fire, but that's all we have going on right now, Aaron. All right. Yeah, guys, uh, recommend checking out Locked On NFL Draft podcast, part of the Locked On Network. And uh, a lot of good stuff. Him and uh, Luke do a really great job. They're new to the show, so um, you know they're 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 getting the ball rolling and the gearing up for this off season. And it's going to be great listens for all you guys. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's always a great time talking draft, and I uh, just really appreciate that and appreciate what you guys are doing with Locked On Falcons. All right, man. Thanks, John. All right, guys, I'm joined by my uh, new guest, uh, Justin Higdon, who is a, a draft contributor to Revenge of the Birds, the SB Nation Arizona Cardinals site, and he's also the co-host of the Draft Breakdown podcast, which you can check out at draftbreakdown.com. Uh, welcome to the show, Justin. Aaron, thanks for having me, man. It's good to talk to you. Now, Justin, uh, you're going to be headed to Indianapolis on Saturday to watch the quarterbacks and the receivers. I, I do want to ask you about that. But uh, just sort of big picture stuff with the combine. Uh, I'm curious, sort of, what is your take on sort of the changing perception of the importance of the combine? Uh, you know, years ago it seemed like everybody was afraid of the workout warrior, but now it seems like it's a important part of the uh, evaluation. And I'm just curious, what are what are you seeing, and how much do you value the combine in your own evaluation? Yeah, I, the first draft I really looked at critically was 2010 and i remember back then uh, 2010 2011 people were really a lot of the the established draft writers were really like you know 95 percent of the evaluation is film study combines only this percent uh, workout doesn't really matter interviews and medical was always it was always that was the important part of the combine the, the you know don't worry about the workouts trust the tape and over the years it's kind of evolved to to the point where a couple of years ago, a lot of guys uh, got into Spark, which is the Nike explosive athleticism formula that they they use uh, different drills to test for explosive athleticism. They have a formula, which I think they keep secret now. But uh, the guys at Field, Field Goals, which is the SBN site for Seattle, uh, they kind of caught on that their team was evaluating late round players using Spark. And as a way to kind of find diamonds in the rough. So then you almost saw like a complete 180 shift to the where people almost started to overvalue athletic traits and um, and plugging in and creating their own formulas. And so my take is I've, I've tried. I've, I've toyed with the formulas. I kind of went down that path a couple of years ago. I've kind of gravitated back to back away from the formulas. But what I like to look at and. And the way I use the combine is I look at I look at guys on tape throughout the year. 
then I, at the end of the year, I look at their stats. I look at the uh, different at certain different stats per position, and uh, there there are a few that I pick out, like yards per reception for a receiver, for example, interceptions plus uh, pass breakups for defensive backs, that type of thing. And then I use the combine kind of in a another supplemental way where I kind of, I, I'm looking for players who are at or above their positional averages in, in each individual test that they participate in. So I kind of want to have my cake and eat it too with all like a, a three pronged approach to evaluating these guys. Okay. Now, um, I do want to ask you a question uh, sort of geared towards the Falcons. Uh, I know they're looking at trying to get better in the trenches. Um, what are your thoughts on some of these offensive linemen or defense, or particularly mainly the defensive line, um, defensive linemen that you're, you're keeping your eye on this weekend? I think the defensive line is a deep group, at, at least up at the top of the draft. So I think Atlanta could stumble into a pass rusher that gets kind of passed up because he doesn't test necessarily top of the line. Uh, this this coming Sunday when the defensive ends and pass rushers are going to be testing. So there are some possibilities. There's some real possibilities for them in their spot. They might end up with a guy like Charles Harris, or uh, they might end up with a tacker, Chris McKinley, to uh, to go alongside, I guess, on the opposite side of of uh, Vic Beasley, but because McKinley's dealing with the, he's going to be dealing with his shoulder surgery after the combine. So he, his stock might drop. We just heard Jonathan Allen has arthritis in both of his shoulders. So there's a potential for him to take a tumble down the line. And that would be a really interesting guy to end up with. If you could kind of steal him late in the first round, he's a player that's been projected as high as the number one pick in some of these mock drafts throughout this year. So I think, what what Atlanta can hope for is that some of these quarterbacks, there's four quarterbacks that potentially go in the first round. If those guys go early, if teams kind of panic on some of these medical evaluations and some, some valuable guys drop, there's also Derek Barnett who could drop because he's not the most flexible guy. Uh, uh, he seems kind of stiff in space, so he might drop. Carl Lawson is a player who's had injury issues throughout his college career, but he was healthy this year. And I think he's going to kind of test in an average range. So he's another player who might be available late in that first round. So they have a lot of options and, and the defensive line, at least at the top of the draft, the first couple of days is going to be pretty deep. I think. Now, speaking of the defensive line, I know you've um, said some interesting things about miles Garrett. I know a lot of people are sort of seeing it as a foregone conclusion that Garrett is without a doubt the best player in the draft and should be the number one pick. And if Cleveland doesn't take Garrett number one, they're crazy. But you seem to be a little bit more skeptical uh, over whether the notion that Garrett is one of these sort of generational pass rusher talents. Could you explain further? Yeah, absolutely. Garrett, to me, just doesn't look like that type of player. I mean, people, people have compared him to Bruce Smith. Like you said, they've used the word generational to describe him. And when I watch him, I don't see a generational type of guy. What I see is a very good player, a guy who's really productive, who played tough uh, through an ankle injury at times this year. He did miss a couple of games, but he played tough. But you also look in and into his production, and you see that he got four and a half of his eight and a half sacks this year against Texas San Antonio. That was something Pete Prisco of CBS pointed out last weekend, and it caused kind of a furor on the on the Twitter timeline. 
um, I, I kind of dug into Garrett more deeply because my theory was that he's not this athletic freak that people are touting him as. And when I looked and I found his high school Nike Spark combine numbers from uh, before he entered Texas A&M, he did have a 34-inch vertical at 247 pounds, which is a pretty, pretty solid number. But he ran his 40 in 5.08 seconds, and uh, the short shuttle he ran in 4.94, which is one of the slowest times for a, a guy in his weight at his position that I've seen going into this. Now, the, the problem with this is that we don't have a ton of longitudinal evidence here. These numbers don't go back that far. So I wasn't able to compare this to a number of players. But what I did is earlier in the week, I looked I looked into the last couple of draft classes, the players that were picked on the first two days of each of the last two classes, to see if there were great, like just huge improvements from these high school combines to the pro combines. And what I found was it's pretty rare that a player does have a, a an astronomical improvement. So my prediction for Garrett is more like a, a 36, 37-inch vertical, which, which again would be great, uh, a 4 Maybe a four eight, maybe a four seven five forty, which again is pretty solid. But I think that three cone, he, I don't think he's a real uh, great lateral mover. I think he does have a little, little bit of difficulty changing directions. So what it comes down to is, the like my best case scenario for how he tests out is kind of like Emmanuel Ogba last year, and nobody called Emmanuel Ogba a generational freak, and or an athletic freak or generational talent. They they said, you know, he tested really well, and he ended up going at the top of the second round. I still think Garrett's going to go uh, early, early. If Cleveland doesn't pick him at one, I think he probably will still go in the top three picks. But it, I, I think I've just been saying all along, there's a real possibility that Cleveland is looking at the quarterbacks very critically with the hope that one of them pops out because I don't think a uh, defensive end that tests similarly to a guy who – they picked up last year in the second round is really at the top of their shopping list. Okay. That, that will definitely be a compelling storyline if that comes to fruition. Um, since you're going to be watching quarterbacks and wide receivers in person on Saturday, um, what are the things that you're going to be trying to glean from these workouts and, and who are the guys uh, at either position that you're you know going to keep a extra eye on i think with the quarterbacks i am not really sure that i can take away too much uh sitting in the stands other than to just kind of see how they respond to to coaches on the field or how well they can make some of these deep sideline outs that they they ask them to make they run through these drills some of it obviously it involves receivers that they're not familiar with and some of the throws that they're asked to make are more for the benefit of the receiver receiver then you know I, I don't expect to see any really shaky performances like what what Christian Hackenberg did last year but I'm interested in in particular in Deshaun Kaiser and uh, Deshaun Watson Patrick Mahomes and Mitch Trubisky I mean I think everybody's got an eye on on those four guys especially if you're a fan of a team that needs a quarterback those are the big four um, in some order that's almost everybody's big four it's pretty rare that you see one of those guys surpassed those are the the four that i'm looking at and in particular i think kaiser has the best chance to be drafted with the first or second pick and uh, then the other ones kind of fall 
into place after that. I think there's a chance Watson actually ends up being the fourth pick just because of the way NFL values arm strength and size and things like that. But uh, for receivers, I think that's going to be fun to watch the 40 times because what we saw after the Senior Bowl, or at least what I saw, was a lot of receivers that I consider middle of the road, mid-round, late day two, early day three, and on talents that were being hyped up and put in people's top five lists and being touted as potential first-round picks. Players like Zay Jones of East Carolina, players like Chad Hansen of Cal or Cooper Cup from Eastern Washington. And I just think those guys are going to kind of, I don't want to say fall flat, but I think they're going to average out in their in their 40 times. And we know that NFL really values 40 times for receivers. So there's going to be some players that kind of stand out, and I think they're going to rise above where they've been projected so far. Malachi Dupree, the receiver from LSU, and Josh Malone, another SEC receiver from Tennessee, are two guys I think will test out well, run well, and see themselves moving up in the in some of these rankings. Okay. Uh, are you going to be disappointed if, if some of these quarterbacks elect not to throw? Uh, you know, I, I won't be because I understand that it's a grueling week and the quarterbacks at this point, especially if they get wind that they're being looked at very early, they might elect to put themselves in the most favorable possible light and, and only do the pro day. Uh, I mean, as a fan, I'll be disappointed, but I will completely understand as, a, as an analyst because it, it really I'm not one of those guys who really pounds the table and says, if the guy doesn't want to throw, he doesn't want to compete or he doesn't have heart. I understand this is a business first decision for these guys and they're doing the best. Uh, they're doing what's what they think is best, what they're being advised is best. So if, if it comes around on Saturday and Kaiser doesn't throw, I'll be kind of bummed that I don't get to see him, but I'll completely understand why. And I won't, I wouldn't hold it against him. Okay. Um, are there any sort of misconceptions that you have heard over the years um, or any sort of narratives that you hear about the combine that sort of get on your nerves? Like, you know, maybe like the whole, he doesn't want to compete and sort of, uh, how you know minor issues tend to get taken out of context and blown up to be bigger deals than they are when it comes to the combine. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's one that the whole doesn't want to compete thing kind of bugs me because these guys have competed at a high level, but for most part, these guys have been competing at a high level for three and four seasons. They've played forty and fifty games, and I I, I understand. Like I, I see analysts putting themselves in the shoes of the uh, player personnel people for these teams, and in a way, I get it because that's kind of what you. I guess that's kind of what you aspire to be if you if you're doing this. But uh, it's just kind of you know that the these players have families to worry about. They have decisions they have to make based on their family situations or their own personal injury situations. Maybe a guy got hurt earlier in his career and he doesn't want to risk further injury. Maybe a guy's been working out to try and recover from an injury and, and his uh, rehab isn't exactly where he wants it to be, to be perfect. So I understand those kind of things. That That's one of the things that rubs me the wrong way. Some of the things like all season long, we'll, uh, we'll hear about guys who've had injuries and things like that, and it gets brushed under the rug. But then you hear, like, one rumor from the Combine. Like, for example, 
uh, you hear about Jonathan Allen's shoulders today. Are people going to, are people that have had him, this is actually something that's been known for a while that he's had shoulder issues and, and surgeries. Is this all of a sudden, because we heard it from the combine going to cause people to drop him in their rankings, like 20 spots. That's the kind of thing that, that irritates me. And uh, it's not really a combine thing, but it's more of a, it's more of just a paralysis by analysis thing. But one of the things I see on the internet when people are, are draft scouting is they'll say, I went back and rewatched uh, so-and-so for the fourth time. And I have, I'm starting to have real questions. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you're going to do that. If you continue to go back and rewatch, especially because a lot of people spend a lot of time online and, and a lot of other analysis and other opinions start seeping into the consciousness and so you go back and you t- and it's something I've, I've been guilty of in the past. And I, I would say most notably back in 2013 when uh, I was – unfortunately, I, I thought Geno Smith was going to be one of the next <laughs> best quarterbacks in the league. But, and it happens, to, it happens to everybody, but uh, it's just something that – yeah. It, <laughs> and, and then inevitably somebody's going to run a slower than usual 40 or a slower than expected 40 time. And somebody's going to say, or or several people might say, well, he plays faster than that in pads. And it's just like, you know, we've got one of the great things about the combine is it's an even playing field for everyone who participates. And that's why the NFL has uh, holds so much value in it. So uh, I, yeah, the idea that somebody plays faster in pads, while may be true, I, I don't think that's really the point. Yeah, a player like that I'm, I'm sort of reminded of is a guy like Jarvis Landry, um, who did not run particularly well, but uh, you know, sort of makes up for it in other ways. Right, and even with Landry, you see he's a, a terrific possession receiver. He's a strong player uh, at the catch and, and after the catch, but he's not a big play guy. He doesn't break a lot of big plays. He doesn't get open deep down the field, and he doesn't score a ton of touchdowns, so that that combine workout while it might he might not have been as bad as that looked it still kind of it's it still shows itself on Sundays with him he's I don't think he's ever going to be this big play guy like his teammate Odell Beckham who ran in the four in the low four fours and and jumped like 39 inches in the vertical you see a lot more explosiveness there yeah yeah certainly the combine can do a lot to sort of define people's roles and I think those two guys are two great examples of that in terms of how they're, you know, they're going to be utilized in the NFL. If you run a four, six and, you know, have like a, a 30 inch vertical, you're probably going to be more of a slot possession guy. And if you run a four, four and, you know, can, can dunk a basketball at, at five foot 11, then, uh, you know, teams will tend to think you have that explosiveness to take it off the top, take the top off the defense. Exactly. And it's funny because today, the last couple of days, we've seen the weigh-in numbers trickle out and uh, guys are, are kind of putting those tweets out on, on the Twitter timeline. And we'll see that, like, I follow a lot of people from fantasy football and uh, they kind of make fun of the draft Knicks for putting out these measurements on online. But, you know, the interesting thing about the measurables, like, for example, today, Baylor receiver Katie Cannon, he weighs in at 182 pounds. And he has short arms, and we just know from uh, experience from from uh, following several combines over the years uh, that the NFL is going to see a player like that. And while he was an outside receiver at Baylor, 
they're going to automatically think slot receiver with this guy. It just because of the way he's built and how how small he is and how short his arms are, they're not going to see a guy who has you know the catch radius that they want out of an outside receiver. So it is it is kind of humorous to see. I can understand people like on the outside thinking that a bunch of dudes are obsessing over the hand size of quarterbacks, but the, it is the stuff that the NFL cares about, whether or not that it that they should. I mean, I kind of understand having thresholds. It's it kind of uh, I don't really love it when they just completely rule a guy out because of that, but it is it is what it is, and and that's why people are interested in those kind of things. That's why I'm interested in it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, the the NFL is a business, and all these draft picks essentially are gambles, and they're sort of just um, making picks based off of previous gambles that were successful. And you know, when you're a five foot eleven quarterback, um, you're you're going to get knocked like Russell Wilson did, and then Russell Wilson did was successful and sort of broke the mold, and then all of a sudden you get guys like Johnny Manziel that were a little undersized that all of a sudden people are like, well, if, if Russell Wilson could do it, uh, then maybe this Johnny Manziel can do it. And then it, it doesn't quite work out. Obviously not necessarily just because of the height thing, but for other reasons with Johnny football. But um, it, it is one of those things where there's a reason why teams sort of put so much emphasis in these things, because it's like, well, you know, if it works only one out of 10 times, why am I going to take a risk on this thing that works 10% of the time when this other thing works, you know, 50% of the time and it's much better a much safer investment with these uh, millions of dollars with this, uh, you know, thing that hits at least 50% of the time. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, an example I'd like to use along those lines is Antonio Brown. You know, Antonio Brown was a five foot 10, 185 pound guy coming out of the Mac uh, out of central Michigan. And he tested, I mean, his, his 40 time, his vertical and all of that was very pedestrian and so Pittsburgh gets Antonio Brown in the sixth round, uh, fifth or sixth round. I'm not. I, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. But uh, after a couple of years, I start seeing a lot of people saying, like, almost seemingly looking for the next Antonio Brown, but then looking for the next Antonio Brown in the first or second round because of what he had become. And I like to try and, and explain to people the best I can how – Finding an Antonio Brown is is an example of good scouting in the later rounds. A guy that you would target on day three because he was exceptionally productive, apparently extremely competitive, but he just didn't have the physical measurable. So you can take a chance on that guy in those later rounds. And if he works his butt off and beats people out, then you have yourself quite a fine. But if you try to find Antonio Brown in the first or second round, and start drafting receivers with that kind of profile, that's where you're going to run into the kind of problems that get you fired. Excellent point there, Justin. Um, Justin, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your insight with the Combine and this draft. Um, go ahead, plug where people can find your stuff. Uh, I know you're going to be there. If uh, wh- Whatever websites you're going to be writing for, and as well as your podcast. Thanks. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at AFC, the number two NFC. Uh, I do most of my writing these days at revengeofthebirds.com. That's the uh, SB Nation Arizona Cardinals site, but I'm the draft guy there. I don't really write about the Cardinals. I just provide general 
draft insight the best I can. Uh, so I'll, I'll be pumping out some articles there. And uh, my co-host Seth Cox and I have been doing two episodes a week of the Draft Breakdown podcast. We've done, uh, I think, 71 episodes now so far over the past year and a half at that site. And we had, uh, we've been running with that podcast probably for about four years in some name, shape, or form. So we try and bring every, uh, every week, a couple times a week, and you can subscribe to the Draft Breakdown podcast on iTunes, or you can follow us on SoundCloud, or you can uh, go to draftbreakdown.com and, and uh, stream it there. So I appreciate you having me on tonight. All right. Well, thank you for giving me your time, and I hope you uh, enjoy that workout on, on Saturday. Thanks. I will. All right, man. All right, guys. Um, that was our show tonight. Uh, one of, just in case, I don't know if uh, John plugged his Twitter handle. That's uh, Ledyard NFL Draft. Uh, that's L E D Y A R D NFL Draft on Twitter. Uh, Justin is AFC to NFC. That's the number two AFC, the number two NFC on Twitter. So appreciate those guys giving me their time and talking combine stuff. Did a little bit of Falcons talk. I know this is light on Falcons stuff, but. I figured this is probably the one event out of the year where we don't have to sort of dig down on the Falcons. And Al and I will be back uh, probably on Monday um, talking about free agency and whatnot. I'm sure we'll any sort of Falcons news that has come up over the last week that we've sort of been light on, uh, we will touch upon on that show or, or shortly thereafter. Uh, I know we've sort of had um, a couple of um, down weeks these last two weeks since the uh, Super Bowl. Uh, we, we figured we, we deserved the, the day off uh, a little bit coming off of the season that we had, uh, that we uh, pushed through that week after the Super Bowl, unlike some other podcasts that will go nameless um, out there. But uh, guys, um, appreciate you guys uh, giving this one a listen. Um, keep uh, sending in those iTunes reviews. I don't know if we've gotten any since the Super Bowl. I know you guys are still... Uh, a little bit uh, disappointed maybe to to post those, but th- that's a way that people can find this show. Um, if you want questions, I know there's probably a couple of questions that people asked a couple of weeks ago that we haven't answered quite yet. We'll get to those. Um, we'll do that as we usually do. Uh, hopefully next week, if you have free agent questions or draft questions, maybe we can answer some of those as well. And um, if you want to send those in, you can use the, Show's Twitter handle at Lockdown Falcons. And if you're wondering why the audio quality is so weird, it's because my microphone messed up. So I apologize for that. But uh, hopefully, I, I think you guys still can listen to it um, comfortably. And um, yeah, you know, Alan is at Alan underscore, Alan underscore Sturk. That's A double L E N underscore S T R K. Check out his stuff at The Falcoholic. He did a nice free agency preview similar to what we talked about on this show. Um, and, uh, I'm also at Falk fans on Twitter as well. And, uh, I've talked long enough on this outro and, uh, we're out of here. So talk to you guys, uh, Monday. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. What you doing? I'm running out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. 
Stop. At MetroPCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to MetroPCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.